Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Effective Communication Strategies for Improved Phenylketonuria Care. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Biomarin Pharmaceutical Incorporated. I'm Stephanie Sacaro, a medical biochemical geneticist in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm the director of my institution's program for phenylketonuria and related conditions. In this activity, we'll discuss empowering patients with phenylketonuria, as well as effective communication strategies for improved care. Phenylketonuria is an autosomal recessive condition. Phenylalanine hydroxylase is the enzyme in PKU, and it's absent or decreased in people with PKU. So we can see the reaction here of phenylalanine being converted to tyrosine, and that's catalyzed by the enzyme phenylalanine hydroxylase. And there's also BH4, which is a vitamin cofactor. The signs and symptoms of PKU are directly related to the severity of pH deficiency and the degree of accumulation of phenylalanine in the blood and in particular in the brain. The prevalence of PKU varies significantly among ethnicities and geographical regions worldwide. And in the U.S., for example, it's around one out of 10 to 15,000 individuals who have PKU. PKU, which is not treated in infancy and childhood, may lead to intellectual disability and challenging behaviors like you might see if you read about the natural history of PKU. However, those that are treated from birth who later discontinue treatment may experience attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, executive function problems, and mood disorders, but typically would not be expected to have intellectual disability. Some neuropsychological manifestations have a reversible component when treatment is resumed in those individuals. In the U.S., newborn screening for PKU is mandated, which means that the vast majority of people with PKU are treated early and do not experience the severe impairments associated with untreated PKU that's unless they're missed by newborn screening, born in a country without newborn screening, or non-adherent to treatment early in life. Next, we'll hear from Brittany Holmes, who is a nurse practitioner and also a patient, about some of the challenges faced by adults with PKU. Thank you, Dr. Sacharo. Hi, everyone. My name is Brittany Holmes, and I'm a nurse practitioner in genetics. I also have PKU. I flagged on newborn screening for PKU and was fortunate to be seen at one of the top children's hospitals in the country and immediately started on treatment. My care team became amazing role models in my life and ultimately led to me pursuing a career in genetics and metabolism as a nurse practitioner. PKU has a broad spectrum in terms of severity, but also each individual's experience with it. Some can only tolerate a small amount of dietary protein while others can tolerate a lot more. Some may struggle to keep fee levels in the recommended range and have significant symptoms of elevated fee as a result, while others may not experience as much of a struggle with this. A dietary restriction from PKU can be challenging to maintain for life. Since you can't count on always having low protein options available. It often requires being prepared ahead of time to participate in any activities that involve food, which can be a lot, but it can also be a struggle to deal with the impact of elevated fee levels if I were to slip up and not stay on top of it 100% of the time. This could make my focus in school and work more difficult and lead to things like mood changes, headaches, and fatigue that would make it challenging just to get through the day. Because the diet is so challenging, even those that are diligent with management may still see spikes in fee levels at times. Since food labels only contain information about grams of protein and not the phenylalanine content, sometimes we just have to estimate, which could mean accidentally exceeding the protein goal for the day. 
Thank you so much, Brittany. In the next session, we'll discuss the long-term effects of high levels of blood phenylalanine for adults with PKU. PKU dietary therapy should be initiated in newborns and PKU treatment maintained for life per guidelines. Long-term adherence is very difficult. B is present in most foods containing protein. Protein supplementation is provided to people with PKU as an oral fee-free amino acid supplement. Discontinuation of a PKU diet is associated with many features, including depression, anxiety, and reduced cognitive function. It's not common to have side effects to the diet, but palatability can be an issue, and there may be nutritional problems if they restrict dietary protein without replacing protein with medical food. Saproterin is a synthetic analog of the BH4 cofactor for VAH. Saproterin has been approved in the U.S. and Europe for patients with BH4-responsive PKU and increased fee levels, usually along with a fee-restricted diet. Saproterin can help to reduce the blood phenylalanine. However, it's unlikely to be effective in patients that have complete absence of the pH activity. Some super responders who have milder enzyme deficiency don't even need a fee-restricted diet once they take saproterin. It is available tablets or powder for oral solution, and most common side effects are GI, though it's typically well tolerated. Pecvalease is an enzyme substitution therapy. It's not the same enzyme that is missing in people with PKU. It's a different enzyme that comes from plants, bacteria, and fungi. It also breaks down fee. It's been approved in the U.S. and in Europe for adults with PKU. It's actually been approved in Europe for 16 and up, and there are current clinical trials going on for age 12 and up. It is administered by subcutaneous injection. Most people can expect to have common side effects, including injection site reactions and arthralgias. There is also a less common side effect, which is a risk of anaphylaxis. And in the U.S., there's a box warning for the risk of anaphylaxis, and the first injection must be given under physician supervision. Subsequently, risk can be modified through pre-medications and home observers. Large neutral amino acid therapy may block fee from entering the brain. Therefore, it can help to address lowering a brain fee with a more modest effect on blood fee. One side effect is that it may increase tryptophan, which is a serotonin precursor. So there could be an interaction with SSRI type medication. In the next session, we'll discuss strategies for improving communication with patients who have PKU from both a clinician and a patient perspective. In this third session, we'll discuss strategies for improving communication with patients who have PKU from both a clinician and patient perspective. Based on my perspective, these are strategies that work very well. Be kind and understanding. Some people with PKU may be experiencing effects from an increase in phenylalanine, which can impact mood behavior and communication. Try to avoid coming across as judgmental. Maintaining fee levels by diet alone is extremely difficult. Keep in mind that patients may feel guilty about not following the diet perfectly. Avoid language that may make the interactions feel punitive, such as when reviewing their blood phenylalanine levels. Offer all appropriate treatment options and work as a team with your patients to come up with the best treatment plan for them. Strategies for improving communication include building trust, empathy, and using patient-friendly language. It's important to maintain relationships over time, even when they are off of treatment. And for those who are lost to follow-up, we try to track lost to follow-up patients and try to re-engage them over time. Next, we'll hear again from Brittany Holmes about the importance of building trust and rapport with patients. 
clinicians who care for patients with PKU should keep in mind the challenges that those with PKU can experience with management and foster an encouraging and collaborative environment. I think it's important to remember to blame the disease and not the patient. Previous literature has shown that over 60% of adolescents and over 70% of adults are unable to keep fee levels within the recommended range. So these challenges are due to the difficulty with the management options and not necessarily the effort or the fault of the patient. However, many of those with PKU often feel ashamed or guilty when fee levels are not in range and that they may get scolded as if they received a bad grade on a test. When communicating with patients, it's important to allow open communication that does not make them feel judged and work with them if they're struggling with current management. Patients should not feel punished for struggling with management and all patients deserve to be presented with all of their available treatment options. Some patients may also need more support than others and it's helpful to feel as if we can discuss any struggles with our healthcare team. Thank you, Brittany. In the next session, we'll discuss shared decision-making and patient empowerment from both a clinician and a patient perspective. In this fourth session, we'll discuss shared decision-making and patient empowerment from both a clinician and a patient perspective. Case one is a patient with mild to moderate PKU. This is a 40-year-old male who is on a low-protein diet who can tolerate 15 to 20 grams of intact dietary protein, and he also takes formula to make up for the rest of his protein requirements. He has B levels that are often above the goal of 360 micromoles per liter. After discussion of treatment options, he opts to do a trial of safraterin. We have a baseline level that's 680 micromoles per liter, and on week one, his level had already dropped to 160 micromoles per liter, which is pretty remarkable decline in blood phenylalanine. This treatment was continued, and then we were able to increase his dietary protein subsequently to 45 grams per day and decrease his formula intake, which made a big difference on his ability to eat regular foods. Case 2 is a 28-year-old female with classical PKU who went off of formula and discontinued strict diet in college, and she now eats a general vegetarian diet. She's concerned that she's having trouble focusing. She has history of a failed Sapriterin challenge. We discussed treatment options, including resuming PKU diet or taking pegvalease. She was interested in pegvalease, but due to delayed and unpredictable time to efficacy, she decided to start formula and to try to incorporate some low-protein foods. With formula, her fee drops from 1,700 to 1,100 micromoles per liter. After nine months on pegvalease, her fee suddenly drops to zero. We work to increase her protein intake incrementally. By 11 months, she is eating an unrestricted diet and trying new foods while experiencing improved focus and executive function. Case 3 is about a loss to follow a 55-year-old male who returns to clinic due to difficulties with focus, irritability, and outbursts, causing problems at his work. His pH variants are not amenable to saproterin. He has needle phobia and is unwilling to carry auto-injectable epinephrine. He's tried to make some dietary modifications, but fee is still over 2,000 micromoles per liter. Through shared decision-making, we agreed that he would try large neutral amino acid treatment. On this treatment, he feels a cognitive benefit and reduction in anxiety, although his phenylalanine level is not much changed. Next, we're going to hear from Brittany Holmes about helping patients feel empowered to make decisions about their own care. 
Clinicians can let patients know that they are there to help and not to judge. Patients should always be made aware of all their treatment options, and these options can be discussed with the understanding that a management plan can be adjusted again if something isn't working for them. Providing detailed and continuous education to patients is also crucial. Developing patient empowerment starts at a young age by ensuring that patients are actively participating in their care. This can start with small things such as helping to mix formula, tracking intake, or making low-protein foods, and progress to being able to manage PKU independently. The transition to adulthood can be a challenging time for those with PKU, so providing support and resources for a smooth transition to adulthood is crucial. Finally, when those with PKU are able to connect with others, it makes us feel less alone and more confident with the disorder. Thank you, Brittany. In the next session, we'll discuss strategies to help clinicians and patients manage PKU. In this fifth and final session, we'll discuss strategies to help clinicians and patients to manage PKU. It's ideal to use a multidisciplinary approach. A multidisciplinary team will include a metabolic dietitian and a metabolic physician or nurse practitioner as a minimum, a specialized nurse, social worker, psychologist, and then neurologist and psychiatrist as needed are great additions to a multidisciplinary team. Routine neuropsychological assessment is a key part of monitoring adults with PKU. They can look at cognitive function, attention, working memory, psychomotor function, and executive functioning. Also, monitoring nutritional risks, including protein deficiency, anemia, B12 deficiency, and vitamin D deficiency is important. And we often will do bone density tests, and we may find that bone density may be lower in individuals with PKU. Patient education can improve disease awareness and diet adherence. It's important to keep people up to date on new and emerging treatment options. We recommend regular physician follow-up coupled with dietary counseling and educational training, and this has been reported to improve outcomes in adults with PKU. So we recommend regular monitoring of the fee levels, and then we discuss any changes based on the levels that we see, and periodic diet records as well. Lifelong management is strongly recommended. Many adults with PKU are lost to follow-up. Some of them had been discharged as children or adolescents, and some stop treatment by choice or related to lack of insurance coverage. So we try to re-engage and educate patients. Clinicians should receive up-to-date education on patient-centered approaches for supporting diet and treatment adherence. In conclusion, providers can greatly improve quality of life through identifying and managing patients with PKU. Primary care physicians can do a great service to their patients who have PKU by encouraging them to return to a PKU clinic. It's vital to understand the outcomes of late or inadequate treatment early in life and the symptoms of high phenylalanine levels, which may have a reversible component. There are several treatment options, and it's best to work with each individual to make a personalized treatment plan. Strong provider and patient relationships can be accomplished through empathetic, non-judgmental approach and flexibility with patient decision-making. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.